0: The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good evening, good morning, welcome. It is Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your humble host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here tonight. I want to thank everybody for all the wonderful birthday wishes, whether... It was uh, in chat or through emails or Facebook, whatever it happened to be. Thank you, everybody. I really, really appreciate the uh, support and the well wishes as another year ticks by. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we all do what we uh, can't avoid doing, which is get older. But thank you very, very, very much for all that uh, support. I appreciate it. Tonight we've got a very interesting conversation scheduled for the program. Daniel Friedman will be our guest. He is a religion and mysticism researcher and an engineer, And he's taking a look at the Bible from a scientific perspective. In fact, specifically, um, he looks uh, at the six-day creation account, you know, in Genesis. And he can actually link it with the science community's interpretation of, quote-unquote, the beginning, which is a 13.8 billion-year timeline. He's written a book called The Biblical Clock, which looks at that. And um, he talks about how how the Bible and science say that the universe came to be and can we reconcile those two different what seem to be very very different ideas um, but he says they're not so different if you look at them the right way so we'll talk to him in tonight's program about that again daniel friedman will be our guest looking ahead later in the week cindy mcgill will be here tomorrow night cindy has been on the program before she's a dream interpreter not just a regular dream interpreter but a master dream interpreter and she'll be talking about the meaning of dreams. Plus, she'll be taking your phone calls to tell you specifically what your dreams mean. I know we all have bizarre dreams that we try to explain ourselves and can't figure out what they mean. Or we have uh, what can be precognitive dreams. You know, we see things in our dreams that end up coming true. Um, some of us have dreams that um, tell us how to make, our, make decisions in life. Uh, all this stuff will be talked about tomorrow night with Cindy McGill. Uh, Master Dream Interpreter. And then Thursday night, Dr. Peter Langdon Ward will be here. He is a geophysicist. He's going to be talking about an alternative view of global warming. Now, his position is that it's happening. Um, His position is that it's probably man-made, or at least being exacerbated by man's activity. But he says that the way the scientific community that believes that right now is looking at it is all wrong. He says it's not Greenhouse gases. It's not CO two emissions that are doing the doing this. It's actually a combination of volcanic eruptions, which are not caused by man, and ozone depletion, which is or partially caused by man. And he says those are the real culprits. And if we don't start addressing them properly, we are going to uh, not have any effect on this change, and we are in uh, in for some difficult times. So he will be on Thursday night. And, again, it's Dr. Peter Langdon Ward. Looking forward for that to that conversation. Now, as I said, we've got Daniel Friedman coming up in just a little bit to talk about uh, the Bible and science. But we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we've actually got a, another guest. Uh, Travis Bowen will be with us to talk about an event that's coming up that I was actually supposed to attend. But it turns out I can't. Um, but it's an interesting event in the Cleveland area. So he'll be on Travis will be on to talk about that event in the first segment of our discussion, and then we'll bring Daniel Friedman in for the rest of uh, the evening. And we will be taking your phone calls. Jot down the phone number, 607-282-4497, or toll-free if you need a toll-free number at 844 687 7669 in the meantime swing by facebook and like our facebook page it's beyond reality radio on facebook also my facebook page which is just jv johnson you can also find it by just typing in JvJ paranormal and then swing by youtube if you have not found the youtube channel yet you're missing out because there's a great chat room there and if you can't receive the program live on a radio station near you some stations don't carry it we understand that the youtube uh, channel will stream the streams the program live plus there's a back uh, a catalog of back episodes there that you can watch and listen to so it's a great resource if you want to catch some of the interviews we've done over the past couple of years a lot of great stuff there again just go to youtube and search for jv johnson and you'll find that and finally i will mention for some reason we've got a flurry of mug orders for the beyond reality radio coffee mug which i'm holding right here showing the camera for our youtube viewers and, uh, yeah, a bunch of them just uh, ordered for some reason. But if, you, if you're interested, go to the website, beyondrealityradio.com. You'll find the mug there. And uh, it's a great, great um, mug to use uh, for coffee, tea, hot chocolate, soda, whatever it happens to be. Hold pens like I'm doing with this one here. <laughs> it works very well for all those things. Again, you can find it right at the website, beyondrealityradio. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll bring in uh, our first guest of the evening. And then uh, after that, Daniel Friedman will be joining us. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past. And I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show. And it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon and you can become a Patreon supporter. And we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. But right now, uh, we're going to bring into the program friend Travis Bowen. And Travis is the promoter and um, organizer of an event called Dark X Fest. It's an event that I've been to. I was at, uh, I think it was last November. I was scheduled to be there uh, this coming weekend. But sadly, I had had a change of uh, schedule, so I couldn't make it. But Travis, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's great to have you here.
1: Oh, great to be on. Thank you. So um,
0: tell us a little bit about what Dark X Fest is. I know, I I mean, I've been, uh, I was at your show in November, so I'm certainly familiar with it. But if someone wasn't familiar with it, how would you describe it?
1: Well, it's the summer version of Dark Xmas, but we can't call it Dark Xmas because it's in June. So um, (laughs) that's why we call it Dark X Fest. But um, it's a horror convention and um, kind of pop culture, too, because some of the guys that have, Movies and stuff for uh, the horror movies have also been another movies and you know as well.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, crossover between what we would call horror film actors and pop culture film actors or science fiction <laughs> actors. Whoa, we got something going on there. Um, so, uh, at what point did you decide to start having uh, events like this and being a promoter of such events?
1: Uh, I started in 2003, and um, I used to do security in the late 90s for Chiller Theater out in New Jersey, right. and that's how I, you know, first got interested in everything. I'd never really been to a big convention before. I'd been to like some like smaller type things, but nothing like really big. Until I was out at Chiller, and then that's when I decided I wanted to do something like that um, out in the area where I live in Ohio. And so I started in two thousand three and it just it grew. In two thousand three I had sixty-five people show up. We had a blizzard. It was horrible. Ooh. Two years later in two thousand five we had twelve hundred people and it was so packed in the hotel you couldn't even walk. Um and, and at that moment I like it just like the convention thing really like bit me and I've been involved ever since. There was a couple of years that I had stops in between, but um You know, I was still attending them and going to other shows. But, but yeah, that's, that's what got me really interested. It started at Chiller Theater.
0: Okay, so Dark X Fest coming up this weekend, which is what, June, what are we talking about? 29th and 30th. 29th and 30th. And it's near Cleveland, but it's not in Cleveland. Where is it?
1: It's in Hudson, Ohio. It's just south of Cleveland. It's, if you looked at a map, it'd be right between Akron and Cleveland. It's a half an hour from the Cleveland airport, but it's basically like a half an hour from Akron and a half an hour from Cleveland right in the middle.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so let's talk about some of the celebrities you do have coming. Um, I know you've got a quite a group of people that will be there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm really excited about, we have the first appearance ever for Alyssa Levine, and she is Zelda in the new Pet Cemetery movie that's still in theaters. And, um... You know that's that's pretty cool because sure. it's the first time she'll ever be at a show.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Plus, you have some real some uh, what I would call uh, horror favorites showing up as well.
1: Yeah, we have a uh, Texas uh, Chainsaw 45th anniversary reunion. We have John Dugan, who's the original grandpa, and he was also in uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D, and Dan Yeager from Texas Chainsaw 3D. That was the 2013 version, the 3D one. Bill Johnson from the second movie. um, And then... Two of my favorite people that are going to be there: Felissa Rose and Jonathan Tiersten from Sleepaway Camp. So um, we had Felissa in November, but this will be like our first time that we had like a little reunion with her and Jonathan. And uh, we're also doing like professional photo ops this year, which is something new that we hadn't offered before.
0: Yeah, Fliss is actually a great friend. Um, I've done a lot of events with her, um, and she always brings a big smile and a lot of energy to an event, and fans, fans really do love seeing her and hanging out with her. Um, you know, this, I, I know how this works because I've done this myself as well. These are the, the, Putting on an event like this is a labor of love, um, and, but it also is, as an attendee, um, you come to an event like this because you love it. Uh, what is the magic of all this?
1: Um, for me, actually, you know, what I would really say, and and it wasn't, the, it didn't come out of my mouth, but it was something that was said to me and it, it felt really special when it said it. Uh, years ago, there was a girl that we had gone to a, a show in Akron and she said she loved being there because it was the first time that she could be around people like her. You know that's and a, be comfortable. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a great way to put it. And in fact, um, um, you know, I I have an event of my own that I run, as well as making appearance at, appearances at other events. And uh, when people ask me why I did that, why I decided to hold an event of my own, it's because I realized when I went to my first events, um, I realized I found a group of people that actually enjoyed the things that I liked and didn't look at me crazy when I said I love horror movies. And um, yeah, you know, that's that there is a community. Uh, that, that, uh, will welcome you if you like that. And when, when maybe your Nate friends and neighbors at home don't, um, and that's a pretty special thing. Mm-hmm. But, oh yeah, it is. So what are some of the ev- other, other events that go on, uh, at the event? Obviously you've got vendors and you've got celebrities. What else happens?
1: Uh, we have a Q and a room and, uh, people talk about their careers. We have people that talk about like, like the Ohio Bigfoot, um, stuff like that we play movies in there and then on top of that the room that we used last year that was smaller for the q a room we're doing that it's just like a movie room so we'll have like two event rooms which is new we have a um, saturday night party uh with we do we call it scary Yoki, and uh, is always involved in that too
0: <laughs> Scary is a lot of fun for sure mm-hmm. um so you, you tickets are on sale now obviously because the event mm-hmm. the event is coming up in just a few short days um i'm sh- i'm sure the website has got probably all this information we're talking about on it right
1: oh yeah mm-hmm.
0: um so if if you started this in 2003 uh we're in mm-hmm. 2016 but you didn't do them every year how many how many events does this make for you
1: um from 20 Well, from 2014, I didn't do one until 2017, so there was a couple years that I hadn't done one, and then last year was like, and 2018 was the first time I had done one since 2013, but the actual Dark Xmas shows, I stopped in uh, 2009, so it was like a nine-year period that I didn't didn't do that.
0: Did you miss it while you weren't doing it?
1: I missed it. We moved it to an expo center, and they wouldn't let us use Dark Xmas, uh, which is kind of silly, but they... I don't. For whatever reason, they wouldn't. We had to call it Halloween Horror Expo, and it was kind. Of, it just. It never had the same magic. Um, it wasn't fun because it wasn't an expo center. I lost interest, but then moving it back last year into a hotel, it brought back like the the original environment that it should have, and it was fun again. And I had fun. So now we're doing two a year. Yeah, there really is a
0: difference um, from a hotel type show versus like a, a, a an expo center or convention hall kind of show. There's a more. There's, they're more intimate. And there's more personality and, I think, more energy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is. And the other cool thing is, like, you can, you know, go to the bar and sit there with, you know, somebody that you're, like, you've watched on TV that you're a fan of, get to know them. Like, more than just going to, like, you know, a convention center and just getting, like, a picture with somebody and talk to them for, like, a second.
0: Yeah, that's that's a huge difference and a huge advantage. Um, okay, so somebody goes, uh, is thinking about going to their first horror convention uh, or horror show. They hear about uh, Dark X Fest uh, based on this conversation. How would you push them over the edge? What would you tell them to say, hey, yeah, this is really where you want to be?
1: Uh, it's it's one of the biggest horror shows in Ohio. You have um, Horror Hound in Cincinnati. And then for the North, I would say this is like your your best for like the modern day. So we do have one out here that's like grindhouse 70s style but this one has like you know like we have the new pinhead from 2018 tell razor judgment and you know and you're going to meet three leather faces you're not going to go anywhere else and around here and and meet those guys unless you you know would maybe maybe in Cincinnati or something But other than that it's just this would be the place to be if you're a horror fan
0: okay so what's the deal with uh with admission and where can people get tickets all that stuff
1: uh, admission is uh, fifteen dollars for a day and twenty-five for the weekend. Now you can get those right online, or you can get them at the door at the show. And um, the website is www.darkxfest.com, so it's easy to find. Or you can Google it. We're also on Facebook, and so it's easy to find out about it.
0: And that's darkxfest.com, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, you do you're doing these twice a year now. It's Dark X Fest in the summer, and then Dark Xmas, as in Christmas, Dark Xmas in uh, in early winter. Like uh, it was in November this last year.
1: Yeah, and this year we're going to add a Friday to it for Dark Xmas. We're going to do uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on November fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth.
0: Well, that's that's awesome. I had a great time when I was there in November. I'm looking forward to coming back. I'm sorry I couldn't make it this time around. Um, but I wish that's you okay. Yeah, I wish you the best, and I encourage people to go to the website, check out all of the celebrity guests that will be there, plus other activities, grab some tickets. It's really an easy place to get to. Are there still hotel rooms available,
1: do you know? Yeah, they are at the uh, Norwood Inn.
0: Okay, perfect. Hey, Travels, thanks so much for joining us on Beyond Reality Radio and giving us an update on this.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: Okay, once again, it's Dark X Fest is the name of the event. You can search it, you can find the website, you can find it on Facebook as well, get a lot of great information. It's a really, really good time near Cleveland, Hudson, Ohio. Our guest tonight is Daniel Friedman. He is a religion and mysticism researcher. We're going to be talking about the Bible from a scientific perspective, as outlined in his new book called The Biblical Clock. Daniel, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's great to have you here.
2: Thank you, and thank you for having me.
0: So I'm not sure where to start this discussion because it's, it's fascinating from every perspective. And I'm just going to ask a general question, and we'll go from there. Science and the Bible, two very, very different accounts of how the universe was created and how we came to be. Are they compatible?
2: I think they are. After, after doing research for many years, I think they are.
0: All right, let's talk about your background a little bit then. Um, You've researched this for a long time. You're an engineer, but tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay, so as you said, um, I I studied engineering physics, which is kind of the engineering that is for the new stuff, so at that time when I did that, uh, uh, almost 40 years ago, uh, my focus was to get into the space, distance, and cosmology, uh, and I ended up. Um, working 37 years in the space industry, uh, including uh, working on uh, the robotics, our company did the robotics that helped repair the Hubble and keep the Hubble Space Telescope going, which is, of course, the instrument that's given us the most information about uh, the age of the universe and and what's going on in in cosmology. Uh, So I kept uh, studying throughout that time and, and kept abreast of those things. And in parallel, I've always had an interest since I was about 13 in the biblical uh, account. So I've continued to study as much as I can uh, that account. And I've always tried to always wonder how they fit together and if they fit together and, and work through that.
0: Would you consider yourself um, a religious person? Yes. Um and when we talk about the Bible here, we're talking about uh, the Old Testament uh, specifically. And, and, and obviously, when we talk about creationism, we're talking about Genesis. Um, right. So, as, as a scientist and as somebody who's religious, did you ever find that those two ideas were at odds?
2: Well, a lot of people uh, think they are, but, you know, the, the reality is that, uh, you know, what science does is it, it looks at the finished structure, the universe, and tries to kind of figure out where it came from by by sort of taking it apart. You know, we, we, we built these huge particle accelerators, like the one in CERN that discovered the Higgs uh, a little while back, right. and we smash all these particles to see what everything's made out of and try to kind of take things apart, like taking my house apart piece by piece until I get down to the two by fours and the nails and so on and see how it might have been put together. Uh, the Bible, on the other hand, claims to be the blueprint uh, that the Creator used to make the world. And um, although it's mostly interested in being what I would call a user's manual, in other words, how to live our lives, most, most exemplified by the Ten Commandments, it does include a fair amount of information about how the universe came to be. I think everybody's familiar with Genesis uh, uh, chapter 1. Uh, which, which has that. But when you add the commentaries and, and the mystical dimension and the other interpretations, uh, you, you get quite a bit more information than, than just the face value of Genesis 1. So it's a bit like looking at the blueprint of my house. That would be the equivalent of the Bible. It's a, it's a drawing. It's a bunch of lines. If you're not a skilled architect, you cannot envision that. You cannot even figure out that it belongs. It's the same thing as a house. And at the so that would be the biblical approach, and the scientific approach would be to kind of look at the house and try and see how it came together. Um, so they look incompatible, uh, but the, the idea is to delve deeply into both and see what we know about each and, and where there's agreement and where there's disagreement.
0: It seems that um, science and the scientific community has... I want to use these words very, very careful, but in, in some ways has declared its independence from religion. I was going to say it is at war with religion at times, but I'll say it has declared its independence from religion. But it also seems that as we start to discover some far more complex concepts um, like CERN has done, um, you know, some of these other quantum ideas and dimensional ideas, we're starting to move back toward the idea that um, there might be more to some of these teachings in religion than we had originally given, or sciences it had originally given credit to. Do you see that same movement?
2: Absolutely. You summarized it perfectly. And, you know, we're starting to see not all, but some of the, the important scientists say, you know, there's, there's stuff here that we just can't figure out, and there's stuff here that's so improbable that it's unlikely to have happened naturally. Uh, but, you know, I think we've got to take a step back, and there's two sides to science. One side is the observational science. You know, we look at the stars, and we see certain things, and they're there. They're irrevocable. We dig in the ground, and we find some fossils, and they're there, and they're irrevocable. And the second part of science is to say, okay, now that we know all about the stars and the fossils, how did it, how did it all come to happen? That's, you know, more theoretical, and that is hard to prove, if not an, an, at some level impossible to prove, because you're proving something that happened in the past. You're not proving something that can be reconstructed. We can't reconstruct the beginning of the universe. Um, so those are a little more, those theories are a little more speculative, like the, the very beginning of the Big Bang is quite speculative. After the beginning, it's is very well understood, but at the beginning, is speculative. Uh, so as we go deeper and deeper into those things, as you say, we're finding harder and harder to explain. And, uh, you know, that's why I went searching in the Bible and, and to see, you know, my question of the Bible was, okay, well, science has been really successful. Like, it really does explain most of what we have here. There's a few, you know, as you mentioned, hard to understand things and some things that people think we might never understand at the beginning, but the rest is is quite understandable. Uh, And does the Bible agree with that, that science should be so successful? Because when you read Genesis, it looks like a magic show, and God said, and God said, let there be, and so on. Uh, But actually, when I delved into it, it's not a magic show. It's it's quite uh, quite scientific. Uh, So, you know, when I read Genesis, I, I was able to discern the pieces that Genesis says science will understand and the pieces that Genesis says science will not understand. And then on the pieces that it says it will understand, I look for where it, you know, did it agree with what science says? Did it agree with 13.8 billion years for the age of the universe or not? Uh, so that's, that was the whole research. But it's exactly how you summarize that we, as we go deeper and deeper into science, we understand more and more about certain things, but we also get a much better appreciation that there's some things that we just can't seem to get to the bottom of.
0: We're going to get into some more detail about uh, your research and um, how we start to reconcile these two what some people think are almost irrecon- irreconcilable ideas. Um, but I want to talk about the Hubble because you did some work on uh, on with, with the Hubble, and you also said it's it's one of the most important tools we've had to actually further this study and this research. Tell us how important the Hubble is and why it was it's important in this discussion.
2: what it comes down to is, is telescopes and the interesting thing about about the stars out there is that when we look at anything in the sky we're looking back in time so if, if we were doing this interview and you know where you're you're in the east coast i'm on the west coast but if you were in the middle east and i was in the in the in the west coast we would hear as you probably noticed on cnn and so on we would notice like a one-second delay between when I talk uh, and, and, and it would be, be a little awkward. And that's because right. the, signal, the signal of light, which transmits our conversation, uh, takes about that long to go halfway around the world. Well, that signal from the sun takes eight minutes. So when we look at the sun, we're not seeing the sun right now. We're seeing the sun eight minutes ago. And when we look at the night sky we're seeing things in the past. There's nothing that's current. And um, so, if you can build a telescope that can see the most distant things, then it will be seen further and further back in time. And the Hubble Space Telescope was built for that and it was put in space so it was above our atmosphere because our atmosphere uh, does distort uh, the picture. So, it's better to look from outside the Earth. And it was the first telescope that was let us see back 13 billion years. So, it's seen starlight that left a star 13 billion years ago. And so, we can plot, although we can't see that star today or a billion years ago, we can only see it 13 billion years ago. We can see other stars 12 billion years ago, other stars 5 billion years ago, and we can build up. An understanding of how stars and galaxies, I should be talking galaxies, not so much stars, galaxies develop over time uh, by looking at all the different ones. It would be like going to a concert. Uh, imagine if every age group was there. Although you could, you could see a one-year-old kid and an 80-year-old man and a 20-year-old and a 40-year-old, and it wouldn't be the same person, you would kind of know because they're people just like the galaxies that, okay, this is kind of how, how one goes from one to eighty because I have all these samples in between. They're not the same person, but they are people. It's the same with stars. We have stars of all ages that we can see in the Hubble, and we can start to figure out how these galaxies develop and the stars within the galaxies develop, and and how we got to today. So that's why Hubble's been so so important. Of course, today we have uh, more telescopes going up, but it was really Hubble that provided some of the most important measurements in the last 20 years.
0: With the Hubble or any other devices that we use to observe these phenomena are are we able to see to the edge of the universe
2: Well we don't know if there's an edge <laughs> well but, uh, we, we, no, we, we we're not able to see we're not able to see far enough to see the beginning uh, you know right now we estimate the age of the universe to be thirteen point eight billion and we can see about thirteen billion so we can't can't get right to the beginning nor do we think we would see because in the early time the light just couldn't escape of course there are other devices now like the the LIGO that's looking at gravitational waves so we we have other instruments to probe Uh, but so far uh, we can only uh, you know see the 90 percent or 95 percent we can't see the beginning
0: Right. So um, we've had other guests on the program have talked about the fact that the universe is still expanding. And, you know, it's it's been expanding for 13.8 billion years. So that's when I, when I say edge, I guess I mean the point at which it's expanding. Um, so as we look at these things with the Hubble or other devices that we're using to measure and we see a galaxy that, t- that who's which which has light that has taken 13 plus billion years to get to us. So we're looking at that image 13 billion years ago what does that information tell us about how we were created
2: well it tells us uh, that information and a whole part of other information it tells us how the whole thing developed for example those galaxies looked a bit like scrambled eggs and you know our galaxy looks like a fried egg if you looked at it you know it's got a it's got a beautiful uh, spiral shape and it's got a bright spot in the middle and it seems fairly organized whereas the early galaxies are smaller and and more disorganized. So we know, for example, that they start out a little disorganized, and as they rotate and rotate and rotate, they kind of uh, go from a scrambled egg to a fried egg. Mm. That's not a scientific term, but... (laughs) (laughs) But it's a descriptive term. (laughs) Yeah. So, and you know, we can tell the types that there were and so on. So what... The, the, the scientists have combined that, of course, with our understanding of how the sun works, so we have a really good understanding of how stars work because we've really studied the sun well and combined that with our, you know, what we learned from Mars expeditions and lunar expeditions and kind of put a picture together with Einstein's theory of general relativity, which is the Big Bang model for the universe, which we believe is quite accurate after the first couple of seconds from the beginning until now, because we understand the physics from that point on. When you go to the earlier time, when the universe was much hotter and much denser, we don't understand the physics, and we haven't reproduced that physics in our accelerators. Uh, But from a few seconds on, uh, you know, we've put a pretty good picture, as you mentioned, of an expanding universe and of uh, 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 matter coalescing in, in groups along kind of filaments with, with voids and so on, and those eventually coalescing into groups of stars and galaxies and, and so on. And eventually, about eight eight billion years ago, our Milky Way appearing and the sun appearing about four and a half billion years ago with the Earth and the planets. And we understand how we started out with just hydrogen and helium, and then in the stars that were formed uh, uh, through the process of fusion, we created the rest of the elements in the periodic table and eventually creating the carbon and oxygen that we we all need and are made of. So all that's, you know, quite quite well understood uh, in terms of now the whole issue of life is a different story, but at least in terms of right. the, the planet getting here and the elements of the periodic table that we need for life uh, getting there, that's how that's kind of put together from all that, those observations.
0: And I wanted to ask you about uh, your books, because there's four of them. Um, which which is the best book for someone to start with if they wanted to start uh, understanding your work better?
2: It's the one you spoke about, The Biblical Clock. You know, I wrote uh, the first three books a bit like scientific papers to kind of make sure I had all my references and I could prove the, uh, the research. But the normal reader found them a little hard in terms of... Uh, Uh, you know, to read. So I work with a co-author, which is a better writer than me, and we put together kind of the story of how this whole information was discovered, but at the same time, you know, present the information in a much more readable fashion. So based on the reviews that I'm seeing on Amazon, uh, this one is, uh, you know, people are are finding easy to read and engaging, and they're getting... 90% 90% of the information. If they want more, they can go to the other books and look in more detail.
0: And the other books are The Genesis One Code, Roadmap to the End of Days, and The Broken Gift. Do they all touch on kind of the same subject matter?
2: Yeah, The Genesis One Code focuses on what we've just been talking about, you know, what what is the age of the universe according to science and according to the Bible, and do they agree, don't agree, and the age of other things. Uh, the Broken Gift spends most of its time talking about humans and how humans came to be from a biblical and a a scientific perspective. And then Roadmap to the End of Days tries to say, okay, well, you know, the Bible agrees with science on on what's happened so far. The Bible also claims to tell us what's going to happen in the future and and what kind of should be the plan for history. And does it match up with the history of the last uh, several thousand years? So that's what that explores. And then the biblical clock, like I say, traces, tells that same information, but from the point of view of, of my actual trip through the uh, the scientific findings and the biblical findings in, in a story format, in narrative.
0: If you're listening to the show as a download, as a podcast, we appreciate you doing that as well. And make sure you share that with your friends, and also rate the program for us if you would. Um, Just, uh, you know, give it a thumbs up. Whatever you do, whatever you have to do when you listen, that helps the show get uh, noticed by more people and uh, introduces the ideas that we're talking to, to more listeners. So thank you for doing that. We also love for you to join the live broadcasts, uh, which we're doing right now, obviously. And um, one of the things that gives you an opportunity to do is to call in and join our discussion, which we'll be taking phone calls in a little while for our guest, Daniel Friedman. The number is 607-282-4497, or if you need a toll-free number, it's 844-687-7669. Again, Daniel Friedman is our guest. We'll bring him right back in in just a moment. I want to look ahead, though, so you know who's coming up on the program. Tomorrow night, Cindy McGill will be back with us. Cindy is a master dream interpreter. And she'll be talking about the meaning of dreams. Plus, she'll take your phone calls and tell you what your dreams mean. We've all had dreams we can't explain. Cindy can explain them, and we'll do that tomorrow night. Thursday night, Dr. Peter Langdon Ward, who is a geophysicist, will be with us to talk about his theory theory about global warming. It's not... Um, it's uh, a bit different from what the general scientific consensus is. It's a very interesting look at what may be happening to our climate. And then as we look into next week, we've got Greg Clark joining us. Not sure which day because we're trying to move things around to get uh, um, Dell Bigtree back on the program. We had uh, Dell scheduled and had to make a change. We want to talk about vaccinations. We're really anxious to have this conversation, and Dell was scheduled to do that and due to a schedule, scheduling conflict, we had to change that. So we're working things out to hopefully get him in next year. or Next year, listen to me, next week. Um, so I'm not sure which night Greg Clark will be with us, but he's the author of Ghost Country and another book called Three Days in 63 to talk about the unsolved murder of Francis Bullock and the Appalachian hauntings. That'll be with Greg Clark next week at some point. Um, as I said, though, we are talking with uh, Daniel Friedman tonight about his book, The Biblical Clock. His website, by the way, is danielfriedmanbooks.ca, and there's a lot of great information there about Daniel's work, including all of the books he's written and um, other work that he's done. So, Daniel, as we start to look into the bi- bi- biblical clock and uh, the ideas there, the fact that you know we've got two very, very different or seemingly different accounts of how everything was created. We've got the Genesis version, in which it was done in six days, and then the seventh day was a day of rest by God, and then we have the scientific community talking about a Big Bang, and then 13.8 billion years later, here we are. So let's start to talk about the ways we can look at these things and make them reconcile.
2: Okay, I think the first thing we have to understand is, is two things going on in Genesis. Number one is that the you, you will have noticed that different parts of the Bible seem to be narrated by a different name of God. It's not so clear in the English. It's clear in the Hebrew. But you see Lord. Uh, you see, Lord, um, you see uh, translations uh, where it just says the, uh, the t- tetragrammatron um, and, and so on. And, in fact, there are different names under which the material is narrated. Now, what's going on here is that when you're talking about an infinite bit, uh, being— you can't describe the being. It's the same with us. We we are infinite in many ways. We're created in God's image. And, you know, we can't be described. So you call me Daniel Friedman, but, you know, it doesn't give you much information. Engineer, that tells you a little bit more. You know, scientist, worked in space, um, father, teacher. These are all labels that we give each other. And depending on which label I'm speaking, you know, today I'm speaking more like an engineer and a researcher than a father, uh, you expect a uh, you know, slightly different material and approach. It's the same with God. He helps us understand where he's coming from by saying, I'm speaking here in a particular way. Now, it turns out that in Genesis, he speaks under a name that in Hebrew is the word, word Elohim, which is meaning that he is working within nature. So in many other parts of the Bible, like the flood, it doesn't work within nature, but he, he in the whole creation chapter, he's working within nature. So he creates nature, and then he doesn't break it. He doesn't pull off any miracles to make the whole of the universe happen. And then the second thing we need to understand is that most of the events, when you look at the Hebrew word, it's a word that means that he's taking something that already exists and making something else in a way that we would take, say, wood and nails and make a chair or take, you know, uh, butter and, and flour and make a cake. Or in the case of the universe, one could take hydrogen and helium and make a star. But you're taking something that already exists and making something else. Now, if the account is working within nature and taking something that already exists and making something else, Well, that's the definition of science. What we try to do in science is say, how did something become something else? How did all that hydrogen and helium out there form stars? And under what kind of law of nature did it happen? What happened under the law of gravity? So what Genesis is telling us is that when we study the universe and it's coming to be through the scientific method, we're gonna understand it. Because for other reasons, which we can get into later, God decided to work within nature and do something to something. But he has three exceptions. There's three times that a very specific Hebrew word is used, and that word means that he started from nothing, meaning nothing physical. It's only used once in the, in the first four days, which is all of cosmology, and twice when it comes to life. And in cosmology, it's used right at the beginning. In the beginning, God created. That created is a proper translation. It means created out of nothing. Every other piece in Genesis is making something. So, in short, Genesis is saying if you study the universe, how the universe came to be scientifically, you will understand absolutely everything through science, and you should get the same answers in the Bible, except for the very beginning. The very beginning, you cannot understand through a scientific method because it started from nothing, which science doesn't deal with. Um, So, that's what Genesis is saying and uh, and today, in, in the, as we spoke a little bit earlier, the Big Bang theory does tell us how everything happened, but it doesn't tell us anything about the beginning. It just doesn't tell us how space came to be, how time came to be, how all those elementary particles we discovered in accelerators came to be, or how the forces of nature came to be. But once you have those things, it's like buying a Lego set. Once you have all those Lego blocks and you know how they snap together, you can build the universe and and science stuff is exactly how it happened.
0: So, when you say that science can explain everything except the beginning, um, are, is the beginning defined as before the first day, as as of those six days, or after the sixth day?
2: Well, in the Bible, the beginning is is, uh, is defined on the first line. In the beginning, God created. Right. So, you know, the first second of day one, and in science. It's the same thing. We, we, in science, we can only go back in time. So we start with what we have today, and we run Einstein's equations backwards in time, and we see what things looked like before, and they work really well until we get to a point um, that's kind of a fraction of a second after the beginning where the universe is so dense and so hot that those equations don't work anymore, and we just don't know what happened there.
0: Right. There are a couple of problems. Um, my understanding uh, with the Bible, and and I and I too am am somewhat religious, um, so I struggle with these myself. But um, you know, we talk about the six days, and we there's also folks who will talk about the fact that if you trace um, the timeline in the Bible, it only goes back. I think what it's the number forty two hundred years, something like that. Um, yet we know the Earth is significantly older than that, so is, is this this is it the same problem here that we're talking about
2: yeah, so now we're now we're moving into you know what are these six days so the biblical chronology is there's six days of creation on day six, Adam is made, and from then on we start counting the years, right. Uh, as we know them. And, you know, you can count in the Bible because it tells you the age of everybody and how long they lived and so on, and you get to about 6,000 years. So the Bible is saying there were six days, and at that point Adam appeared, and then there's been about 6,000 years. Now the question is, what are those six days? Are they the same as the days we talk about today? Right. Because during those six days, the person keeping the time was was God. He's the one that's telling us what's going on. After those six days, we're keeping the time because it's all measured by humans and their lifespans and so on. So in my research, I went looking for whether, you know, those six days uh, could mean uh, something, something else. And if they did, exactly what did they mean? And, and if they meant that exactly when did things happen, not just to the day but to the hour, to the minute, to the second, and does that match up? with the uh, events and the timing of events that science has figured out in the last uh, 20 or 30 years or so.
0: Uh, Jen, you want to ask you about intelligent design. Is this a discussion that uh, also takes the veil of intelligent design versus evolution, or is evolution uh, the tool of intelligent design?
2: Uh, you know, I, I don't like the term intelligent design Um, because it it doesn't come from the Bible. What what the Bible is telling us as as we spoke is that the process that's going on is through the laws of nature. So it's natural, just like science is discovered, whether it be the Big Bang or evolution. But there are three places, one in cosmology and two related to life, where it's not as science would understand it but the rest is. So it's not like the whole, of course the whole thing is, an, an, if, you, if you believe in a creator, the whole thing is an intelligent design, but it, it, it's a bit like when we create an AI machine uh, to play chess, it starts to play chess and it starts to learn from playing chess. We're, we're, not, we're not manipulating it as it's playing chess. It's on its own. It's right. being created and then it's doing its thing. So it's the same with the universe and life. It's set up Ready to go, and then it's a robust system that that develops naturally uh, because that's the way it was it was uh, set up. Um, so I, I don't quite like intelligent design. I prefer that it we talk about the Bible is saying things are going to completely appear naturally because that's the way it was set up, except for these three instances where we won't have a natural explanation, the beginning being the one we've discussed the most, where we just won't find the natural explanation because it doesn't fit in the definition of science.
0: Do we um, take the the Bible literally, when we read six days, and I think you may have touched on this, but I'm more uh, curious about things like the creation of Adam, um, which would have been the creation of man. Uh, Should we take those things literally, as they're outlined in the Bible?
2: You know, the, 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 the Bible is it can be read kind of at three levels. The, the literal level, the, um, the homolistic level, where we, we go beyond that, and then the, the mystical or Kabbalistic level, where we go beyond that. Uh, after the first six days, when it says that people wander around the desert, yeah, we can take that literally. Um but in the first six days, it's believed that most of the account is a bit more mystical and we actually have to go deep into it to understand what literally happened, uh, which we would see scientific. So it's a bit backwards in the first uh, six days in the sources in that it's it's really talking about spiritual concepts that we have to then figure out the literal meaning. Uh, but after that, it's talking about the literal meaning, and we have to figure other things out. So when they wandered desert, they did wander through a desert, but there's also a higher-level meaning that there was, it was devoid of spirituality. was a desert spiritually also, which is at another level of interpretation.
0: Has the religious community um, come out at all in um, with an opinion on your work?
2: <laughs> you know, there's, there's no real spokesman in, in, in <laughs> there. Um i mean a lot of you can see from the comments and and the emails i get and so on a lot of uh people have have read have read it and commented it turns out that although you know we think that there's a big battle going on when you do this the surveys, so in the united states there's an annual survey done which tries to ask a few simple questions and then those quest the answers to those questions kind of tell us what people believe. And it turns out that about 40% of the people in the United States believe in the literal interpretation of Genesis, meaning the world was created in six days through an act of God less than 6,000 years ago. About 20% believe in the scientific explanation, no God, it all happened you know, through the Big Bang and, 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 and Darwinian evolution. Uh, but forty percent believe that you know the science is right and the Bible is right, uh, which is kind of where where, where my books at. So um, there's there's quite a large group, and these are re- these are religious people. They're not they're not non-religious. They believe in a creator, but they believe that science works. I mean, we all use our GPS to get places, and we're talking on the phone right now, probably via satellite. Right. Uh, this this stuff works. Science stuff works. It's for real. Um, So there's there's a fairly large contingent, 40 percent of the country, that that says, look, and and that's the comments I'm getting. I'm getting comments from people saying, you know, I knew these things had to somehow fit. I just didn't know how.
0: And, uh, Daniel, I want to get into the timeline a little bit here because I know you've done this math and you've been able to reconcile through a formula the difference between what we're calling six days or what Genesis calls six days and what the scientific community calls 13-point-billion years. Is that a complicated formula, or how did you get there?
2: It's, uh, it's quite simple, and, and it's very similar to the blueprint for a home. The blueprint for my house, it doesn't make any sense when I look at the blueprint and I look at the house until I see that it says that one inch on the piece of paper it's equivalent to eight feet in the house. So the question is, you know, what are these days? And it's, it's very straightforward. It, one day is about two and a half billion years. And it's a, it's a straightforward calculation from the Bible, which is 1,000 times 7,000 times 365, the 365, of course, being to convert from days to years. So it's just 1,000 times 7,000 times 365. That works out to be approximately 2.5 billion, but if you work it out in complete detail and then compare the age of the universe, the age of the sun, the age of the first plants, they come out within scientific measurement error to what uh, we have discovered in the last 20 years.
0: The religious community um, question... Uh, was kind of it was kind of difficult for you to answer because you're right there is no spokesperson and I suppose the scientific community doesn't have really a spokesperson either. Um, but uh, are you getting any people to understand this approach that may have otherwise been um, resistant to believing that the Bible uh, actually had an accurate account of the beginning?
2: Yes, like I say I'm getting you know lots of comments. Of course, you know, um, my my book is not very well known thanks to. To your show and, and other things like it, it's getting becoming more well known. But I've had i had emails from NASA scientists I've worked with saying, you know, I'm glad to see this work. Uh, you know, we we would never talk about this at work, but I'm glad to see this work. We know that from the from the uh, censuses that about half of the scientists in the United States are regular attendees to a place of worship. Um, so you know presumably about half the scientists are believers at least uh and like i say they the, the it's kind of the, the far end of, of 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 the science community and the this the strict kind of you know young earth everything literal end of the religious community that are kind of are odds, but the everyday person is seems to be much more uh in the middle and and looking for some kind of reconciling answer uh, that works. And, you know, as a scientist, I wasn't happy with arguments uh, like intelligent design that says, look at how pretty the flower is and how incredible it is. It must have been designed. That that doesn't work for me. I, I need to go to the source text in science. What happened? When did it happen? Go to the source text in the Bible. What happened? When did it happen? Applying this formula. Do they match? They match. And then... Uh, what is explainable, as we spoke before, these things are explainable. What is not explainable, these things are not explainable. What does science say? They don't have an answer for that. What's not explainable. So, so far everything's kind of matching.
0: You have, um, you know, pro- 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 provided a lot of information in the, in the book, um, but I know there's some key message. What, what, what would you say the key messages?
2: You know, the, the, I think the key message is that there's two pieces to science and two pieces to the Bible. The first piece is what happened when it happened. Know how. Forget about evolution. Forget about God. Forget about all that stuff. We have a text that says it's the blueprint of creation. And what does it say happened and when it happened? If you apply this formula, which I got from the Bible, I didn't make it up. I got it from the Bible, 7,000 is and 1,000 and 365, to the event that what happened when it happened, matches with the scientific record from the fossil record or from cosmology. So there's no argument there. Then we go to how it happened. And science says, we have a really good natural explanation. And, this, and the Bible says, yeah, it happened naturally. And then science says, well, there's a few places where we can't figure it out. And the Bible says, yeah, in those places, Something from nothing came to be. So the message is that the accounts are agreeing.
0: Do you think that your message and this book will be a comfort to a lot of people? Because it seems, and you mentioned it, a lot of people are looking for some kind of reconciliation. They're, they have a faith and they believe the Bible, yet they have a scientific community that's, that's telling them something else, or at least they thought it was telling them something else. Do you think this will come to a, as a relief to a lot of people?
2: Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've got emails and, and comments from a lot of people saying we kind of knew there had to be something that to, to bring these two worldviews together. Uh, and, uh, and that's satisfying because, uh, uh, people kind of seem to live uh, in, in two kind of worlds. They, they drive to church using their GPS, and they know the GPS works, and they believe what they're hearing at church. Um, so it's, it's kind of a dual life. I mean, uh, this work started with my, my nephew saying, hey, you're working on the Hubble Space, space Telescope, and you're, you're still a believer. I thought the Hubble Space Telescope was the mainstay of the Big Bang. Uh, so that's that's where my work started to answer that question. From them, I said, you know, they they, they they just couldn't understand how I could be in both worlds.
0: What about aliens? Now, you know, there are a lot of folks who um, believe that aliens are visiting us, or if they haven't yet, they will, and that they, in a universe as big as it is, uh, they have to be out there. Um, does that throw a wrench into any of this, or, or does it also is it also something that can be explained?
2: Um you know I'm I'm not an expert in this in this part of the Bible but as you can imagine I get asked the question so I've, I've done some research <laughs> Sure Um I, I don't see anything in the Bible that says there can't be life outside of planet Earth And in fact there are some some mystical documents that talk about uh life outside the planet seem to talk about life outside the planet But what the Bible does say very clearly is that if you are to have free choice, you have to have a Bible. That we were given that manual, the Bible, the Ten Commandments, because we have free choice, because we can pick between right and wrong, morally right and wrong. So there could be very intelligent life. But the Bible wouldn't say that it has free choice because the Bible is pretty clear it was only given at Sinai Mount Sinai here it wasn't given on Mars or some other galaxy so i I don't see a issue with finding other life I don't even see an issue with finding very intelligent life, but finding something as complex as a human being in terms of its ability to to choose freely between what's morally right and morally wrong uh that the bible would 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 say. It's unlikely. Now, just to add to that, just like you said earlier on, at first science thought it would be quite easy to find other life just because of what you said. There's so many planets and so many galaxies and so many this and so many that. But frankly, in the last few months, as as we've detected more and more planets, we're finding that it may not be so easy, that we are really fine-tuned here we really have a special place
0: as you uh finished this book and uh, this is obviously the fourth book that you've written all touching on similar subjects um are you more and more convinced in your faith yes when we look at a uh a population that is attending church less it is um, turning, in many ways, away from religious teachings, regardless of what that ha- religion happens to be. Uh, do you think that that is a problem for humanity? And do you also think that as we start to have this discussion, like we're having tonight based on your book, that it may may turn people back the other way?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, the first question, I think it is a bit of a, a problem because uh, my, I even see it at work between the... You know, my generation and the next generation, that uh, th- there has to kind of be a, a moral code that's universally accepted, like the Ten Commandments. If we start making our own moral code, it's really popular. You know, I run a space company with 4,000 employees, and every consultant that came by kept saying, you know, you need to establish the company values. I go, like, what? Like, it's just like being honest. I said, what do you mean? What's wrong with the Ten Commandments? Why do I need to pay you so much money for this? Uh, and, of course, we've seen what's happened in business where people have not been honest, haven't treated pensions properly and so on. So I think it is a problem not to have, uh, you know, a, a higher moral code instead of making it up ourselves, which becomes quite arbitrary. And I do think that uh, from talking to the young, uh, uh, you know, the teenagers, that because of this kind of uh, Tremendous amount of programming, frankly, on, on public television in the United States about in, in, in things like the Discovery Channel and so on, which is amazing programming explaining the science. But frankly, explaining it as it's uh, not a hundred percent, like it explains that it's it's got all the answers, but it doesn't have all the answers. Uh, and at the same time, our religious leaders not being able to, you know, deal with a $13.8 billion deal with evolution, deal with all these issues that are in the scientific books of grades 7, 8, 9, 10 now, uh, the kids are getting turned off. They, they understand the technology works. Just look at their phones. They're magic. Uh, and, and they're not getting the answers. So you know, I think it, it, it's very important to try and, and provide the answers and engage the two sides, uh, especially on, in, with the young, the young minds that are just trying to learn this stuff. It wasn't really till my fourth year at university that I discovered, in my cosmology studies, that you know we didn't know what ninety-six percent of the universe was made of, which we still don't know today. Until fourth year university, I thought we knew everything. <laughs> um, you know, most people don't get to that level in physics in their education because they do other useful things. So uh, it's just not known.
0: So um, as this book becomes more uh widely read and, and people start to consider your ideas, you must have uh, another project uh, on your plate or at least some, an idea of where you want to go next.
2: I certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as, as, as I explained, you know, this book says, look, uh, these are all the events that you will be able to understand through science, and we do. This is how the timelines match. And there's these three events, these three places in Genesis where something out of nothing happened, the beginning and a couple related to life. So I'd like to write a book on each one of those three events. And I'm already well into the first event, the the very beginning, and put together all the information from the Bible about, you know, how many elementary particles should we have? And how does that compare to the elementary particles we have discovered? How many forces should we have? How How does that compare? Uh, what is the meaning of time? How does that compare with science? Uh, what's happening in the microscopic world in terms of quantum mechanics? How does that compare with science? And that's what I'm trying to do. And it, it's, it's partly a challenge when I sent an article into Scientific American on, on my work, and I said, you know, will you publish this? And he said, they said, no, we won't publish it because you're not making any predictions. You're just explaining something, and, and you knew the science answer, so may, maybe you made it all up. Uh, so I said, fair enough. I'll work on making a whole pile of predictions, but I can only do that for these three events uh, out of nothing. And maybe some of them, uh, science will discover as we go forward, like more elementary particles. So that's that's my project to work on on those three in particular right now on the on the, on the very first uh, uh, event and try to say this is what we know from science, this is what we know from the Bible, and here's where we might. Uh, Gain new knowledge by combining the two things together because we're stuck in the science side uh, on the beginning. For example, we're just we're just not making progress. We're stuck.
0: Your website is your name, Daniel Friedman dot ca, um, and I know that your books are listed there for sale. But where can where else can people find your books, including the one we're talking about tonight, the Biblical Clock?
2: The book is Amazon.com. they got the best prices, the best deliveries, and it's available on, on Kindle, on paperback, on large print paperback so my mother could read it. <laughs> and uh, it's also available on Audible uh, on, on, on Amazon.com on, as an audiobook because it is a story, so it lends itself to an audiobook. Uh, that That's the easiest place to find it. You just type my name and Amazon.com after the, the books will come up. The biblical clock will come up.
0: Daniel, thank you so much for sharing your uh, work with us and uh, spending time with us
2: tonight. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for helping in the garden, baby. Uh, no problem. Uh-oh, I got to go again. Again? Hey, wait a minute.
2: Crapco presents.
0: It's the Crapco Turtleizer. The Crapco Turtleizer. Make your duty do its duty with the Crapco Turtleizer. Turn regular household human waste into fertilizer for your lawn or garden. We all do it, so we may as well get some benefit from it. My tomato plant's never been more juicy. Thanks, Turtleizer. And finally, my cucumbers are bigger and firmer than ever. I can't thank you enough, Turtleizer. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's 100 Natural. And the Krapco Turtleizer works great with houseplants, too. Don't my begonias look beautiful? Yeah, I've never seen them flower like that before. But What's that smell? The Krapco Turtleizer comes with all the things you need to make your morning chore into a whole lot more. Like a hardy, stain-resistant net. A supply of fertilizer reusable storage bags. A copy of People Magazine. And an Ocean Breeze air freshener. The Krapco Turtleizer. Use it as a school project. Have the neighbors over for a Turtleizer party. Bring it to grandma's for the weekend. Use it near Kill Fired Ceramics. It's a big help when potty training. And don't forget those romantic dinners for two.
2: Baby, this salad is really good.
0: Yeah, I grew it myself with the Krapco Turtleizer. Thanks, Krapco. <laughs> Start a small business for the wife by selling your extra turtleizer to the neighbors. What's the scoop with your poop? Don't flush all those goodies down the toilet. The Krapco Turtleizer. The Krapco Turtleizer is available for a special limited time price. And get this free bathroom decanter to store your turtleizer materials. The Krapco Turtleizer may cause unpleasant. And odors and a rash. Get yours today. All right. So, just a little bit of uh, humor to uh, end the night because it was a very, very serious topic. And I've actually, you know, so many of those points, I've actually considered myself over the years, you know, trying to you know reconcile things. Because I think we all do that at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. You should have written the book, beat him to the punch. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I don't have enough brain power to do that for sure. <laughs> but his work is fascinating. The fact he worked on worked on the Hubble, uh, pretty cool stuff. And. Um, I'm anxious to see, I mean, there are several, at least one, I think there's a couple of new, um, telescopes being built that are designed to actually get more of these answers. Hmm. So we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll have some more answers as time moves on. Hey, tomorrow night, we've got a great program coming up with, um, Cindy McGill, dream interpreter, master dream interpreter. In fact, we'll be talking about dreams then we'll be taking your calls to talk about your dreams specifically. It's beyond reality radio. We'll catch you tomorrow night.